The author C.S. Lewis wrote a book years ago called The Great Divorce. And in it, Lewis has an allegory of what hell and heaven would look like. The main character is a man who goes on a bus trip filled with other people to these different places. When the bus is hovering over the allegorical hell, the narrator looks down and all he sees is rows and rows for millions of miles of empty houses. He notices there's no rivers or mountains or streams or lakes, just empty houses. The person sitting next to him on the bus, he, he looks to that person and says, did there used to be a lot more people that lived here? And this is what the neighbor responds. He says, not at all. The trouble is that people are so quarrelsome. As soon as anyone arrives, he settles in some street. Before he's been there 24 hours, he quarrels with his neighbor. Before the week is over, he's quarreled so badly with that neighbor, he decides to move. Very likely, he finds the next street empty because all the people there had previously quarreled with their neighbors and moved. If so, he settles in. If by any chance the street is full, he will go even further. But even if he stays, it makes no odds. He's sure to have another quarrel pretty soon, and then he'll move on again. Finally, he'll move right out to the edge of town and build a new house. You see, it's easy here. You only have to think of a house and then it's there. That is how this, teen, this town keeps growing. Everyone, millions of miles from us and from one another. This depiction that C.S. Lewis gives us is of hell as a place where anyone can have as much material as they need. And yet the real catch is that everyone lives alone. Everyone, although they might have all the material they need, is isolated from one another. You know, this postmodern world, long before the pandemic, one where we are virtually connected to all of our friends, where we are fed and encouraged to have a culture of busyness and success. This culture is one that decreases our ability to be connected to others. We live in neighborhoods. We live in assisted livings where we are surrounded by other people and yet somehow still feel alone and isolated. The world gives us a model for living. If we want to fit here in this world, what matters is the number of views that you get on your YouTube video or the number of likes that you get on your Instagram post. What matters most if you are a student is that you find one thing that you are the absolute best at. If you are a woman, you need to have children. If you are a man, you need to have a good paying job. If you're a working mom, well, you have to be good at absolutely everything. And if you are a working dad, you can be really good at being a dad, but not where 
it might limit your ability to make a lot of money. If you're over 65, you have made it if you aren't living paycheck to paycheck. If you are a young adult, well, you need to be in an established job. You need to be dating someone and you need to at all times be able to travel at the drop of a hat to go visit your friends. I wonder, are we drinking the Kool-Aid? The gospel of Jesus, you see, it has a different model of living for us. The gospel of Jesus says there's another way that we're supposed to fit here. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And the abundant life of the gospel, friends, it is a model that is rooted in love where every single person has a purpose. When the Apostle Paul writes his second letter to the church in Corinth, he's reminding them to consider, you know, what model are you following? Are you following the model of the world or are you following this new model, this gospel model? And in the second chapter, he says, you know, we do relationships differently according to the gospel. We say we will forgive others that have offended us. And not only that, we will work to reaffirm our love for that person. In chapter four, he reminds them that we do difficult times differently. We see the valleys and the difficult times in our lives as opportunities for the glory of God to be shown so that although we are pressed, we will not be crushed. He reminds them, we don't look at what can be seen. That is temporary, but we focus on what is unseen, that is eternal. And then we get to our text today. Paul tells them, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. You see, life lived based on the gospel of Jesus, it means there is a bigger story here than just what we can see. Every person that you and I know is a child of God with a Savior who is desperate to demonstrate his love to them. Every single person has a bigger purpose. Jesus didn't say, I have come that some might have life and have it abundant. Jesus didn't say, well, guess what? If you are one of the lucky ones that was born into a family that already believes in me, you are the special one who gets to have abundant life. Jesus said all people deserve and are worthy of an abundant life that is rooted in love with a purpose. This text has hit me hard in the heart. Am I viewing people just from a human point of view? Do I even care if the people around me know about the abundant life in Christ? You see, Paul tells us that all of this stuff, this faith stuff that you and I have discovered, all of this love, all of this grace, he says it clear, clearly that all of this is from God. The fact that you and I know Jesus, that we can accept the grace and love of God, it's not because of any of our own doing or our not doing. Paul reminds us this is all from God. You see, it was through God in the death and resurrection of Jesus 
but all of us had this possibility for being reconciled. And yet, God has entrusted us with something. We do have a role. God has given to the followers here on earth a responsibility. Look again at what Paul wrote. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, we have a role to be reconcilers. Our purpose that is rooted in love is to be reconcilers. The word that Paul used here, I think he intentionally used it because it's a super secular word, katalasso. And anybody that would have read it or listened to it would have known that this was an economic term. It was a term used by money changers when one person was taking their form of money and giving an equal exchange for another type of money. So it indicated this idea of equal exchange. But Paul has just told us not to view things from a worldly point of view. Why would he use this very worldly term for reconciliation? Eleanor Oliphant was a 30-year-old woman who had lived by herself since she was 22. She held the same job as a financial assistant in a marketing firm in Glasgow, Scotland for eight years. And in all those eight years, she had only taken two sick days. Eleanor was a creature of habit. She ate the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And every Friday night, she would stop by the store pick up some pizza and two bottles of vodka, all of which she would consume before she headed back to work on Monday. Eleanor did not have any friends. In fact, to her apartment in the eight years, she had only had two guests, one the meter reader that came every month and the other a social worker to come check in on her. No plans for change, Eleanor Oliphant was completely fine. But then something happened at her workplace. A new person got hired to solve all of the technical issues, Raymond. And for whatever reason, Raymond was drawn to Eleanor. It could be that she was possibly the most socially awkward person he had ever met. She would say things that everybody in the office would look aghast at, having no clue that what she had said was inappropriate. Maybe Raymond saw how lonely she was, or maybe Raymond just was drawn to her. Raymond convinces her this one time to come with him to visit his mom. In one scene, they're visiting the mom and they have helped the mom with things around the house and had some tea. They've spent hours there and then as they're getting ready to leave, Raymond's mom says to Eleanor, Eleanor, this has been a lovely time. I haven't been beyond the garden for months now, these knees of mine. So it's been a pleasure to see a new face and such a friendly face at that. You've been a great help around the house too. Thanks, hun. I have to tell y'all, 
something amazing happens next. Eleanor smiles at her and she thinks to herself, to be the recipient of thanks and warm regard, I would never have suspected that small deeds could elicit such genuine, generous responses. And then Eleanor says this, I felt a little glow inside. Not a blaze, but more like a small, steady candle. What I didn't tell you about Eleanor is that up to this point in her story, we know that half of her face is covered with a horrific scar from being burned as a child. Raymond's mother simply said to her, it's a pleasure to see a new face and such a friendly one at that. No one had ever commented on her face before. And at this point of connection, light was able to enter into her heart. What I didn't tell you about Raymond is that he already had a lot of friends. He had activities outside of work. This is what reconciliation looks like from a godly point of view. One person noticed something about another. Maybe it was her awkwardness. Maybe it was her loneliness. Or maybe he saw that scar and knew that behind that scar there had to be a story. He was determined to make a connection with this woman. Raymond came alongside Eleanor and he put aside anything about her that was annoying, that could have been off-putting, and he connected with her. And Eleanor, she had to learn to accept the connection that Raymond was making. Do all of us realize that we have been given a purpose? That there are millions of Eleanors out there needing more Raymonds. Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Christ literally is depending on us to be those reconcilers in this world. We must share this message of reconciliation with those around us. You see, Christ did not set limits on who received his love. And so we too should not set limits on who gets to be reconciled. As followers of Jesus, y'all, we are called to live with eyes that are looking out for the Eleanors. They're in our Zoom calls. They're in our workplaces. They're in our schools. They're in our families, on our soccer teams. They're everywhere. And it is our responsibility to be reconcilers, living according to this model of being rooted in love with a purpose. So the next time someone in your neighborhood who complains all the time about everything, maybe invite them to sit in your front yard, socially distanced, and ask them what kind of neighborhood, if any, they grew up in when they were younger. Let's reconnect as reconcilers in our communities. When someone in your family only sees the negative, what if next time you just ask them, you know, 
what's your favorite meal? And then surprise them and cook it for them. Let's reconnect as reconcilers. Maybe you are the person that keeps saying no to people inviting you to do something. Maybe because you're afraid or you feel unworthy or you've just been burned before. Consider saying yes next time. Reconnect as reconcilers. When you realize that you know absolutely nothing about someone who you have worked with for a while, the next time you see them on Zoom or in person, find something out about them and then follow up the next week. Reconnect as reconcilers. And if one of your Facebook friends posts something that is just categorically against your beliefs, instead of posting back, just direct message them and say, hey, can we catch up? Reconnect as reconcilers. We, as followers of Christ, have been entrusted with this message of reconciliation. It is literally part of our purpose as followers of Christ. It's no surprise that when C.S. Lewis writes of heaven towards the end of the book, in stark contrast to hell where there is millions of empty houses and everybody living so apart from one another, here in heaven, there is this radical forgiveness. There's almost a culture of reconciliation. Misery, it can't even exist there. And Lewis describes it as unbearable beauty. The environment is rooted in love. Imagine with me what it would be like if the followers of Christ, if we would go and do this ministry of reconciliation so that even just one person around us was able to let something glow inside their heart. Gosh, I love the abundant life that we have in God and I want it for others. Will you join me in reconnecting and reconciling this week? May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.